Hey, Will. Hey, Dean. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to talk about these graphic novels in the year of sword and sorcery. This is Bookstabber. Welcome to Bookstabber, podcast where <laughs> I, Willow Payne, and he, Gene Ambaum, we talk about books. We we talk about what makes books tick. We get inside the books. We call, crawl around inside them. We make new homes. We live new, brand new lives. We forget who our old lives were. Anyway. Oh my God. Somebody's some somebody's animated today. Okay. All right. I'm very excited about this now. I was excited before. Now I'm now I'm now I'm quadruply excited. Couldn't be more excited. All right. Uh, this is part X of the year of sword and sorcery, where we keep reading sword and sorcery books. Some of the books we've read were not actually sword and sorcery. I'm, I'm apologetic about that. Are you, Gene? I'm not. I, I'm not. I think. I think it's uh, wide open. I think. I think. I think Dickens A Christmas Carol is sword and sorcery. That's that's where I'm coming. You in. are a blysmith of the highest order. <laughs> Today is nothing uh, but pure, well, unadulterated swords and sorcery, folks. We read. A... Well, we're cl- close, close, close. There's one. There's one book with no sword. Well, there is a sword in that book, I guess. Well, depends. Kind of. So, what are we? What did we read for this episode, Gene? Well, we read four graphic novels, and we should say we're going to spoil them uh, mercilessly in talking about them. Uh, we read Headlopper, Volume 1, which is uh, subtitled The The Island or A Plague of Beasts by Andrew McLean. We also read uh, Scales and Scoundrels, Book 1, Where Dragons Wander, which is uh, the definitive edition from TKO and not the earlier edition from Image. We read the newly published in English Darkly She Goes by Hubert Hubert and Vincent Mali, M-A-L-L-I-E, which just came out from NBM, was originally published in French. And we read the nearly wordless Miranda by Grim Wilkins, which was published by Image a few years ago, and which was uh, originally serialized in the uh, Island anthologies, which I really enjoyed. So that's where where we're coming in. Can we talk about them in that order? Do you care? Yeah, let's talk about them in that order. Um... Okay, so Headlopper. Headlopper, which I think you suggested for this list. I did. Uh, you want to you summarize the first the first volume? Oh, man, you don't want me to do that. Um, so here's the problem. Really? We read a bun- I don't want you well, to. Well, here's the thing. We read a bunch of comics, and I didn't actually... I read Headlopper like a year ago, and I didn't have time to reread it this week. So I, I have it in front of me, and I skimmed it, and I was hoping that that would help me. I remember the broad strokes, but boy, do I not remember any characters' names or fine details okay well let me let, let me pitch this one then so uh headlopper is to me it's like it's kind of a heavy metal fantasy that's very cartoony it is kind of a very cartoony conan there's this bearded long-haired barbarian-ish dude with a giant sword named headlopper who likes to you guessed it cut off heads of, of monsters and people who deserve it this takes place on the island realm of bara which is ruled by king Aaron, who's a child and there's a feared sorcerer in the quiet wood called the sorcerer of the black bog the sorcerer secretly employs the uh steward of King Aaron, who's this evil dude named Servan Lulak. There are giant sea creatures, giant wolves, crazy looking ferrymen, the dead walk. There are these twins who have blue skin. And Headlopper carries around with him the head of this blue witch that uh, continues to talk and be hungry, despite him having cut its head off a while ago. And uh, they're kind of having adventures together, he and this smart-ass witch's head. And basically, this is all about Sev- Servan Lulak and uh, the Sorcerer of the Black Bog trying to get Agatha, the blue witch's head, to get its power. This does not work out well for anyone, as you might guess. 
our hero, Headlopper, aka Norgal, takes a lot of heads, and it's quite cartoony. But it is rated M for mature, because despite it being cartoony blood, which is which is the the uh, outer portion of the cover, the whole thing is bathed in blood. There is quite a bit of it. So anyway, great great book. Have you ever met Have you ever met Andrew McLean? No, have you? Yeah, one time, one time. I think I met him at I want to say it was SPX the one year I went, and it was the year the first or second Headlopper book came out. And he just looks like a heavy metal fan, it's like he might be in a band. You know, super nice, super nice guy. I was selling a lot of Headlopper merch and books and prints and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really, I was just kind of in awe. I was like, oh, he just, he just seems to be having a great time, which, which I always like to see at a conference. So. Sure. Well, the book itself is fantastic. My memory of it, you know, the the art is fantastic. I could tell you that much. I love the art in this. I love the character designs. I love how simple it is, but it, it is charming. And also, I, I think it completely works for, for what they're going for, you know, uh, rich. I think it's funny because in, in, in my mind, when I think about the, the art, it feels like it's drawn with like a rotring pen, like there's no weight to the line, but it's not true when I look at it. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? It's it's so it's so simple that it feels like that. Right. It's a bit of a, a lean clair situation yeah very much so and, and the detail comes and goes depending on how far the characters are in the field of view which i really like mm-hmm. and the texture isn't super fine but it's just this perfect balance of the cartooniness and the textures i don't know i, I think i think mclean is uh is he's just really great at simplifying what he's looking at absolutely and he uses a lot of really heavy shadow as well yeah uh, to great effect but it's not quite as dark as like mignola right it, it it is actually pretty mignola-esque in that way which i'm a big fan of and in terms of the content as well you know there's lots of monster fighting it's it's never really a dull story it does manage to switch between you know action scenes and sort of these uh dramatic moments between you know squabbling sorcerers or nobles and it's it's just a very entertaining book i would recommend it to basically anybody yeah i mean it's it's super it's super funny in moments and then just super brutal at other moments but i think the funny carries it oh sure the the humor is great and i think uh the colors were done by uh mike spicer whose work i'm not not familiar with or at least i don't know i'm familiar with otherwise but the colors are very bright sometimes too Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of when uh, Headlopper is going into the mountains and all the mountains are very like purple and pink. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so funny. I don't know how specific to be in in a discussion of uh, <laughs> <laughs> where we're going to have four books. I mean, I could go plot point by plot point. It's, it sounds like we both are big fans of Headlopper. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm so curious about that, Willow, because you, we, we don't tend to be big fans of the same thing. So, I mean, what is it What is it that carries you through this book? I think, well, I think we actually agree on comics more. If you listen to the last graphic novel bonanza we did, in which we did four comics, I think we liked almost all of them in for the same reasons i think we disagree about prose a lot but i think when it comes to comics we're kind of simpatico well i mean i mean i I think we have different expectations from comics but i think i think this is actually the sweet spot for us i think sword and sorcery comics are the sweet spot and i think i think this hits this like checks every box for both of us i mean i mean it may be that we are enjoying different things about it but you know we can go across a list and it's like we we both like the the story here right we like the characters we like the art we love the art well we love the action we love the humor what's you know what's left what's left to disagree about well well, there's like there's like some weird little um moments in the book that kind of don't serve the overall plot line the overall kind of quest that's going on sure yeah like like headlopper thinks he's gonna go take care of the sorcerer and the sorcerer is actually manipulated things so headlopper brings the head to the sorcerer in the middle of the island and you know lulak is in on that lulak is trying to betray the sorcerer and headlopper and and like on the way there's like this moment where headlopper is in graveyard of an old battlefield this little tiny guy comes up and starts talking to him. Do you know what I'm talking about? The little Orko character. You don't really see his face. He's kind of this little pig imp thing. Do you remember that part? I vaguely, yes. And the head wants to eat it. <laughs> and uh, like the head finally does eat it, but then they're attacked by liches. And then the liches are attacked by these giants who also... At- 
like while they're while they're eating the ghost liches they also attack a headlopper and there's just this it's this amazing fight that kind of comes out of nowhere and kind of doesn't doesn't serve to do anything except for make the journey harder like that is of the genre of fantasy in general like any epic story from mythology or or you know written by an author in the modern era you have to have some kind of side adventure aspect to it if if the adventure is too straightforward we don't believe in it we don't we don't think that the hero has undergone enough trials right i think this is sort of psychologically programmed into the format of it and so this is this sounds silly i realize but i think by not serving the main plot it it serves the larger story as a whole the story of the protagonist i i agree with that but i what i would say is it's very easy to do wrong to do poorly like i I see it i see it done poorly in fantasy novels a lot and it's just kind of window dressing and and here it feels it feels like it deepens the world somehow and i don't i have never quite figured out from a creator's point of view how to do the one and not the other Hmm. um interesting and and i but but i think mclean has and i think everything mclean does in the book serves to make the world seem deeper and some of them are things that uh he exploits in later volumes of headlopper i I don't remember he comes back to absolutely everything that he mentions here like uh the goddess that imprisoned uh, the sorcerer of the black bog and this little imp creature and the battlefield there but i know zania kodaka who's the the young virgin who headlopper ends up in prison next to toward the end of the book when the twins capture him with their their pipe full of dust that makes headlopper sleep <laughs> right uh they're gonna feed him to this unfathomable creature that uh they're trying to keep from eating the world basically to feed it a virgin every month and zania kodaka is there and uh she and headlopper uh, escape and help each other and um zania kodaka appears at the end of the book and then appears in, a, in at least one maybe two later volumes what well, one of the things that i really appreciate about all of the fantasy books we've read today is that though they all tread on very similar ground tonally i think they're all extremely distinct i agree yeah. That even though they we can call them all sword and sorcery, none of them are trying to tell the exact same kind of story. Uh, that this is feeding off a really an older tr- fantasy tradition, a very pulpy one of Conan the Barbarian and Elric of Melnibene, uh, which none of the other graphic novels that we read today are are in that specific vein. Did you ever read uh, Joe Daly's uh, Dungeon Quest books? I don't believe that I have. Oh, this, this reminds me of those a little bit, just in in its smart acidness, but it's not it's not quite as it's not quite self-aware, which Dungeon Quest is very self-aware. Did you ever read the Aster books by Tom Pico and Karen Sack? They're like kids, they're kids' graphic novels that were published uh, two or three years ago in English. Like, like those have those have colors that remind me of this. And this kind of reminded me of Hilda too. You read the Hilda books, right? I'm, I'm familiar with Hilda by Luke Pearson, yes. There's something there's something of Hilda in this too, just in the wonder of the world to me. Just in the wonder and weirdness of the world. I mean it's not it's not a little kid's point of view, obviously, but Sure. And and the colors are more muted in Hilda, but it's it's got something of that to me. Sure. I think Hilda's a good example of that. I'm sure that that kind of tone we could find in a lot of things uh that predate Hilda as well. Sure. That's a that's a good recent example, uh for a children's uh comic. But I think I think Hilda did that really well, and I think um, I think this this is the only sword and sorcery book that has some of that to me. Like, like most sword and sorcery books, there's all these fantastic things going on, and it's just like, okay, kill them, <laughs> kill them all. <laughs> this one, <laughs> and this one is that, but it leaves you with a sense of wonder somehow. I don't know. It's very it's very strange. It's, it's very strange and weird and uh, super enjoyable. And I'm now now I need to reread all the other three books, which I have on my shelf somewhere. If I can, I, as as the world's uh, least organized librarian. <laughs>
<laughs> I, uh, oh, I need to go track some stuff down. All right. Is that, is that the end of Headlopper and the Island or A Plague of Beasts? Yeah, let's let's move on to a more challenging book that maybe we disagree on or maybe we don't. Oh, I'm very, I'm very curious about the next one. The next one is Scales and Scoundrels Book One, Where Dragons Wander, the definitive edition by Sebastian Gerner and French illustrator Galad, G-A-L-A-A-D, from TKO. Uh, the Definitive Edition was published in 2021, and this is the first of the Definitive Edition books. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm curious about this. Did you read this one recently? Yes, I did. You pitch it. Okay. See, the problem is that because also we read so many comics, I don't remember anybody's names. I'm, so- <laughs> I'm sorry, you made me read four books. I don't know anyone's names. But our protagonist is a, is, is it an Erden? Is that correct? An Erden, yep. Right. So it is set in a very stereotypical, I don't say that is a bad thing, fantasy setting, not unlike maybe a Dungeons and Dragons setting, wink, wink, uh, that, that you may have adventured in once or twice before with big cities and and dungeons and fanciful folk and our main character is a wandering sort of adventurer who is secretly a dragon they don't really try to hide that secret very hard not so secret yeah no but uh it's a secret that she keeps from other people at least at the beginning she is a dragon who is bound to a humanoid form townspeople are afraid of of dragons rightly so for they are great terrible beasts but she is a very devil may care ne'er-do-well who is out to uh to to enjoy treasure is always searching for treasure you know is just out to have fun and crack some skulls and winds up as part of a, an adventuring party there's a uh, a prince of a, a distant land uh the prince's bodyguard and a a dwarf adventurer as they are looking for a, a lost city far below the earth that is supposedly full of treasure and so this yep, scene it's called uh it's, it's called dened lewin the dragon's mall that itself i think encapsulates the pitch and of course there are i think so. some interesting enemies that uh, tag along like uh, someone who seems very keen on hunting urden aka dragon yeah, some unnamed uh, some unnamed sheriff dude with big scars on his face and a hood and two dogs <laughs> yeah no i think that's a good pitch uh the the urden's name is luvander right prince's name is askibjorn but you don't really ever hear his name uh his, his koro is his shadow and lady dorma is the dwarf guide i think and deep beneath the dragon's maw there is a place called the dalden laria the hall of dreaming treasures which is like the the ultimate dungeon i guess yeah i mean the tone of this is super playful yes very much so i would say it's manga and kind of anime inspired um in terms of the way it's drawn and the way the action unfolds uh, it starts with like a, a card game gone wrong where levander is on the run soon and is and like like could clearly kick everyone's ass but just kind of leaps from building to building to building and and uh yeah you know starts a fire that burns down the uh Art style, you know, I I hate it when people compare my art in this way, but I'll I have no better way to compare. I would compare this art style to say Kate Beaton or Andy Stevenson. That's interesting. It's not really. It, it it's it's very it's very cutesy. I don't say that as a bad thing. It's very it's very cute, and you know, it's not really about say anatomy. Uh, it's just it, I don't know. I I don't have a I don't have a good way of describing it. So if you look at it, you'll you'll say oh. That looks like a thing that I've seen. You, you'll you'll get it. You'll know what I'm talking about. Well, in terms of its tone, I, I I agree. It doesn't look specifically like either of those to me. But it also it has something of the tone of like old Hanna Barbera cartoons. Like it, it doesn't without looking like them. Well, well, no, I I, I just mean the way it feels like because the guy who's uh, after her, like the guy with the wanted post 
poster for Levander with the big the big dogs. Just the way the dogs are drawn and the way that guy is like overly hulking, you know, <laughs> like like just just the, the bigness of him feels like 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 Michael Michael Avon Eming drew him, which is like kind of that old kind of exaggerated style of of body shape or like just like I could see it in like an old Herculoids cartoon, you know, from Hanna Barbera. <laughs> I, something I, like that. I don't think this looks anything like the Herculoids, but listen, read listener to the podcast, you look at the book and you decide what it looks like for you. Apparently this is a Rorschach test. Well, I don't think it looks like that exactly, but it feels like that to me. That's all I'm saying. It's like it's like it's like these big exaggerated villains and this this you know. this is going to sound like not a compliment, but I mean it as a compliment. This book really grew on me as I was reading it. I agree. I agree with that. that actually, the yeah. the very beginning of it, I go, oh, this is like trying to be like Avatar: The Last Airbender or something. It's trying to go for this tone, and I've seen this a lot so much in the last several years that I'm a little sick of it. But the characters actually really grew on me. I I. I enjoy the, their dynamics. I think they're all fun. I, I enjoy that it, it feels at first like it's not going to take itself very seriously, but it does. Um, certainly, you know, the main character is sort of a rake, but that that's just her characteristics. And, you know, good trope, you know, she uh, even, even though she seems like she doesn't care about anything, she's projecting that she really does. And and it plays out very well. I I really enjoyed this book all together um at, at, at the beginning it's it felt like one thing and and maybe it technically is maybe it is trying to be sort of an avatar the last airbender but i also like avatar the last airbender and it did it did a better job of it than i was expecting it to <laughs> I, I i i mean i mean i i see the avatar uh comparison but i mean at least in its playfulness right in its playful moments right um I I, th- but, I thought that it did a good job. You know, the the adventure itself felt sufficiently epic. You know, it had multiple stages mm. where we keep going down, down into the earth. There's lots of monsters that are are dutifully threatening. They're they're correctly bad monsters. Yeah. We, we get good tension between individual characters. Everyone has an arc. They all play out in a satisfying way. I, you know, I really don't have anything bad to say about this book. I enjoy the art a lot. I did feel like maybe some of the colors in the beginning were muddy, but I think that also is because I was reading it under extremely bad lighting in my apartment. So that's really not on the book. Well, the colors are super bright and it's, it's, um, it, it, they're, they're bright in a different way than Headlopper is. Like Headlopper is colors are really bold i guess and these colors are very bright and it was a little off-putting at first i think because of that and because of the playfulness like the overt playfulness of this book and the character but it, it works for me and it, it I, I i fell right into it. it it took probably 20 pages and i was like okay this is going to be this is going to be decent i would say it never really feels like anything's at stake in this book Mm, I do, you know, there's a part where it feels like maybe the characters are going to die, you know, and that maybe adventuring for adventuring's sake was sort of all for naught, which is a, a classic, uh, you know, that goes all the way back to The Hobbit as a trope. Yeah. I I didn't feel that nothing was at stake. I, you know, what, so this book has this sort of main story and then there are a couple of, of extra stories afterwards and I think mm. by that point, sort of the tension is diffused, but but you do enjoy just, you know, spending time with uh, Luvander at that point. And so you, you keep going on the, you know, adventure. And so by that well, point, I, I, there's no tension. But I, I think I think after they enter the dungeon, that giant kind of tick monster thing attacks them like that felt like the most anything was at stake. And then like they meet a guy who helps them and they all end up kind of going down mm-hmm. into this pit. Lavender falls into the pit and and she's just like fine. And they find <laughs> out she's fine later. And after that, you're like, well okay and the guy just goes well you know it's over that way oh and then the dwarf the dwarf 
uh, girl Dorna Dorma is looking for her brother, and oh yeah, he he went that way too, and then they just well, but well, but the brother, but the brother character did die, and that was sad. You know, we we find his his dead body, sure. and we know that Luvander is fine because she's a dragon, and so she's probably immortal. But you know. The prince right. could die. Koro could die. You know, these are stakes. These are good stakes. Well, they, they are stakes, but but like up to the end of the first adventure, it feels like a kid's book, and which is not which is not an insult in right. my in my book at all. I just kind of thought, well, I think this is kind of a little bit mismarketed. I would market this to kids. Well, see, I think that's intentional, though. I mean, like, so if if uh, Headlopper is trying to be Conan the Barbarian, Elric of Melnimine, which I think it is, it's trying to be pulp fantasy. I think this book is trying to be kind of a Saturday morning cartoon fantasy, which I am a huge fan of. And I think it, yeah, yeah. I think it does a great job of that, you know? But, but after the first, after, I mean, I mean, so there's like, there's like some big fights and the whole thing with the guy after Levander is resolved and you don't really know how. And then there's kind of like a couple of afterward adventures where Levander goes off on her own without the party. And we find out more of her backstory, which like, there's like this thing with elven mercenaries where we find out she's pretty kind. And then there's a wordless adventure with a mermaid, which is kind of strange. And then there's this meeting of the dragon council where we find out Levander's backstory a bit. Right. I mean, we're going to circle back to this. Cause I liked the, the wordless comic with the mermaid quite a bit. I did, I did, I, I did too, but it's very, it's very off to the side. I'm just, like, I'm just like, gonna, um, I'm, I just want to circle back to that later when we talk about another wordless comic that, okay. <laughs> that, 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 yes, yes. Okay. Uh, there's, yes. I have precedent of liking a wordless comic, let, let no one uh, say otherwise. Well, well, but, but I, um, like, like after it becomes clear that like Lavander is sealed in a human form because she won't accept, she's a princess and she won't accept her, uh, dragonness she won't do what dragons do which apparently is not care about humans right mm-hmm. i mean this is the thing and 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 she's sealed until she accepts her dragonness again and but she also just kicks sand in the face of all the other dragons who are in human form meeting at this council it's it, it, it's a very odd story but it's it, it's it's good uh it's good to have it at the end um yeah i mean that wordless comic let's talk about that for a minute i think it's very strange to like have people essentially drawing comics in the sand at different points in a wordless comic like drawing very simplified stick figure comics it kind of works though in the context of this it it communicates the ideas and it makes sense in the setting and so i have no complaints about it i i was able to read it which is sort of i think one of the most important things about a wordless comic is that it is yep in spite of not using words and i don't mean that comics by default should use words in fact i think by default you should be able to express your ideas through the visuals I, I was able to parse what was happening in the story and what was happening between the characters. That, Absolutely. That is significant, if not, you know, the most important thing. It, it was incredibly straightforward, and it also is kind of the story of The Little Mermaid somehow, like somebody whose voice is stolen, so it's nicely wordless in that sense until the one of the characters gets their voice back toward the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it re- really, really worked. And it, it's, uh, it's got an unexpected kind of twist as well, which I liked. Have we, have we exhausted the scales and scoundrels volume one i don't know i don't know yeah it sounds like we're both fans of it you know we enjoyed it what what i struggle with is that i felt like i needed that explainy scene at the end like like that last that last uh quote-unquote issue or chapter in the book like like didn't it didn't not not a lot happened it's not the best chapter but it felt necessary and so i i kind of don't like that like i admire headlopper for how little explanation it has of what is what is going on and how that just happens over the course of the story. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't I didn't like that I felt like I needed some kind of explanation, but I I was glad that it didn't come in the middle of the adventure. And I, I can see that I guess the original trade paperback 
of this, the original collection, it was probably just through the adventure with Lavander, the Prince, the Shadow, and the Dwarf before they part ways. Yeah. Um, and I could see how that would be a really satisfying book. So having having the definitive edition kind of adds some necessary bits, I think. Um, but but it's 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 strangely structured overall in terms of what you want to know and what I think you need to know. Would you agree with that, or does that feel? Well, I don't. I don't, I don't want this to sound like I'm dunking on you in a big way. I feel like your relationship to what you call explaininess or exposition is uh, is very interesting, and I feel like like we as people who are talking about books a lot and and trying to you know critique them that it, it's a lot like when you go to a restaurant the best hamburger restaurant in you know north america and <laughs> well like i don't like pickles and onions on my hamburger for example and so i order it without yeah, pickles yeah. and onions but the chef who the chef who made the best hamburger in north america made it with pickles and onions in mind and so if I don't like pickles and onions, like that's not the fault of the world's greatest hamburger chef, right? That's that's a that's a me problem. I feel like that's a little bit you with explaininess that I understand that you don't want these things to be explained to you, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be there. That doesn't mean the hamburger shouldn't come with pickles and onions on it, right? Well, well I, I here here's here's what I here's what I as a comic book consumer, not a graphic novel consumer, kind of don't like sometimes. And that that's that like like as a collection this works. But if I was buying it individual issues, like I, I wouldn't want to, I, I wouldn't really want that issue. Do you know what I mean? It, it just doesn't, it just doesn't pay off. What if I, but other. what if I told you that the author was having a lot of fun when they made that? that w- would you <laughs> like it then? Well, I, I think. What if I could show you videographic evidence of them having fun I while doing it? I think it's not untrue <laughs> that, 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 that episode seemed to have some fun in it, some sense of fun. Um, and that the characters are pretty bold and well developed. And as far as explaininess goes, it's top tier explaininess to me. <laughs> but, but it's still it's still that thing that I'm like, oh, like I just I just want like to not have to have like the explanation. I think somehow. I you know I'm not saying like I like Headlopper and I do I understand what you're saying when you say that Headlopper doesn't have that exposition in it. And I agree that like that is a good thing. But also I guess I just I'm just not as uh, upset i'm not i'm not as turned off by the explaining Hmm. chapters as you are it's like okay that's what was happening and then i move on to that like it doesn't it doesn't sit with me and boil my insides i don't know it's it's just a thing that happens that i accept i'm i'm um i'm excited to read the second volume of scales and scoundrels from tko and mm-hmm. uh, to see how the story develops, but I like the small adventures too. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like if there was, if there was more adventures, like the Elven Mercenary Adventure and the Mermaid Adventure, and it was just like one issue comics, like twenty-four-ish pages of adventures, I would be totally satisfied with that. Sure. If it didn't go to the, the whole meta idea about <laughs> uh, Lavander as an Urden, as a dragon, uh, trying to figure out how to regain her shape. Like, like I don't, I don't really need that. I like, I like the lightness. Well, but also you were talking about the stakes and I feel like that is that is the story that has more stakes for Luvander, right? And so it I think it's part of the total character arc that, you know, you're getting a holistic approach to this character. And so you you get to meet her at multiple levels. You can see how she interacts mm-hmm. with these random mortals that and then you get to see how she interacts with with the dragons that you know that that's part of her origin story that's also it 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 explain it explains a lot but also part of explaining is providing context for why this character is the way that they are and that's i think emotionally very important that 
I, I guess, but you don't have a sense that she's not who she is, right? You have the sense that she's having a good time and is 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 existing as a complete being somehow. I mean, and she does transform into a dragon a couple times in the story, so mm-hmm. it, it, it's clear she has access to that somehow, right? In, in her dragonish moments, so I, right. I, I mean, I think they mentioned I, that that she, you know, is able to sort of strain the bonds of her of her curse. Right, right. I, I just, I just don't feel like there's anything at, at stake there. I guess for me, like, like as an explaining this, it's fine. But I think that's a, an agreed disagree portion. <laughs> okay, all right. I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the heck out of it. I book. also enjoyed I mean, this book a lot. So, you know, we disagree a bit about uh, scales and scoundrels. We agree about headlopper. So, what's our next book? It's uh, "Darkly She Goes" by uh, Hubert and Vincent Mali, and uh, Hubert. Uh, did a few graphic novels of note. Um, I think wrote uh, Miss Don't Touch Me and uh, Beauty that both came out from NBM in English, um, but died recently, I believe. Oh. I, I don't I don't think he was too old. Very tragic. Um, so that, that's pretty sad. And so this is one of the last couple of uh, graphic novels that uh, we have from him. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would say the difference here, like this book's look, uh, Vincent Molly is the illustrator, uh, very, very muted colors. All the blacks look like graphite instead of like ink um or most of them do um it's 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 kind of much darker looking but has this wonderful quality to the color that looks both real and a little cartoony um i i always really like the french graphic novels that look like this Mm -hmm. uh but especially i especially admire the colors i don't know how they get that quality and i don't see it very often in um in american comics And, and not all french comics have it to be frank but uh, the ones that have this look, I, I really, really tend to be drawn to. Um, let's see, what's the the pitch? Can I can I go ahead and do that? Yeah, go ahead. There's a dishonored uh, knight, Azur, um, who's kind of working as a mercenary when three hags, three witches, come and say, "Hey, there's this young girl. She's imprisoned in this dark castle, and we'll we'll pay you to take her back to her dad, um, and you can regain her honor, your honor, because uh, her father's gonna." take you in and name you his comrade in arms and everything's going to be awesome. And he goes there with his squire, uh, Yuen and, uh, it's this black castle and he fights his way through all these creatures and kills the big one that's next to her. And she's like, what the, what the hell have you done? Like, those are my friends. Like, why did you kill them all? But then she goes off with him anyway, <laughs> gets returned to her dad. She was, she was kind of, uh, off trying to just keep everyone else safe. Uh, she's not quite human. Um, she's not quite welcome back uh, into her father's castle. Uh, the three hags are up to no good, and everything kind of uh, unfolds from there. Yes. Uh, what's her name? What's her name? Islin. Islin. Mm-hmm. That's right. So if Headlopper is pulp fantasy and Scales and Scoundrels is sort of Saturday morning cartoon, this one is definitively fairy tale with a, an additional descriptors of I would say dark fairy tale and even postmodern yeah. fairy tale. I would say, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's it 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 feels it feels both timeless and modern, though. Mm-hmm. Um, in its telling, uh, it doesn't feel quite authentically like a, a a true fairy tale because there are some twists towards the end that feel you know like only a, a author in the last hundred years would come up with, which is not a slight. It's, Absolutely, it's I really enjoyed this book. Similar to Skills and Scoundrels, I would say this grew on me that the the introduction it felt a little rushed in terms of putting all of the characters and pieces into play 
but mm-hmm. I once once we started, you know, once once the ball got rolling, which it ro- starts rolling very fast because of that sort of rushed feeling. Once it starts developing from there, it, it's very organic and enjoyable. And I came to really like these characters and the conflicts that they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, the art is fantastic. You know, not only are all of the books we've read tonally so different, but visually they're all very different. Right. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you like the look of this one. If you if you had not liked the look of this one, I would not have known what to do right now. <laughs> what do you? But I'm glad you like well, the tone you, too. If I didn't like the visuals, or well, no. If if I mean like, there's always a part of me that doubts you're gonna like what I like. And I when I read this, I was I was like, oh, Willow needs to read this book. Um, like I think she'll I, I think she'll love it. And that was my that was my response to this book. But I was also kind of terrified because it's. I did enjoy you know, this. Not, I think. I mean. I don't know if I like this one as much as Headlopper. I enjoyed it more than Scales and Scoundrels. Uh, and I, well, I definitely like it a lot more than Miranda. We'll say that for now. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about just what happens in this book, you know? So we've got these three we- witches. We've got this this wayward knight. We've got a princess. You know, we have all these classic fairy tale creatures. And then we discover, you know, through their interactions that um, they are sort of echoing this sort of cyclical thing of this uh this princess is the daughter of a monstrous queen right right her name's queen what was her what was her mom's name queen melorin yes and so there's this monstrous queen and literally she you know has a long serpent's tail and uh sort of a of a naga creature or a siren of some sort and that she has she lived underground right. in a knoll of some kind and, she had a uh, she had a crown of butterflies which now Islin has and she has these these hags that are her her servants and right and and so we discovered that you know she had previously uh had this child with a, a mortal human man who became a king through her through the, the this monster queen's sort of scheming uh made made for... but we, we, don't, we don't know that initially initially we just think he became a king but right it's clear later toward the end of the book that it was by her power sure i mean i'm i'm just i'm just going ahead and i'm spoiling everything you know if we if we were to yeah, follow the actual yeah. course of events we would find that azur and islin are you know slowly falling in love with each other falling in love with each other over the course of adventuring together and trying to figure out, you know, what's happening. We would find out that Azur, you know, was once, uh, you know, was the son of a lord and was a, an esteemed knight before he was, uh, his reputation was was destroyed. I, how, what happened to his reputation? I don't quite remember. Well, well, we kind of, there's a hint that he was kind of a ladies' man, was a seducer. But then we find out that he actually, I mean, the rumor is that he seduced and or raped the queen and then uh the king challenged him to single combat and he killed the king but like azura said later this is way toward the end azura says that basically the queen invited him to her bed and then to protect her honor he had to challenge the king mm-hmm. so you know and then the, the queen kind of tries to have revenge on both of them as well that the hags basically manipulate everybody throughout the whole book to bring about everything good and bad that happens to the characters right right at every point and the fairy taleness of it is that nobody seems to see that that the hags just show up and go hey you know <laughs> how about if you do this thing that we want you to do and things go to shit and nobody notices us okay i, I think yes. i have previously uh spoke of the it, i don't remember what episode this was but i have before on this podcast talked about my love for the um that cgi robert zemeckis beowulf movie that the the script was written by neil gaiman and it has yes, a very yes. it has a very similar plot uh, and i don't mean that in the abstract i mean literally the plot is similar in uh, okay. in the way that the sort of monsters are, are manipulating mortals 
and literally sort of the family lineage aspect of it. Hmm. Uh, which I, I, you know, I'm a huge Neil Gaiman, Neil Gaiman fan, and I'm a fan of that movie uh, in spite of what people say about it. Don't, you know, watch it for yourself. Make up your own mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the the dark fantasy story is really fascinating. That I, I, I always love that, you know, we have this authentically medieval setting in which we have the politicking of, of kings and queens and knights. Right. And then in addition, we have, you know, the this world of monsters, you know, in case this underworld where magic and witches and monsters all coexist. And then, you know, the, the medieval society has to contend with that in addition. Not only do we have to worry about roving barbarians and assassination plots, but also they have to worry about actual monsters made of shadow and brimstone and being cursed right, by a right. witch or being ensorcelled by someone. That it's just a great setting. Well, and there's there's some great visuals in this too. Like I love the Black Castle where mm-hmm. uh, Islan is quote-unquote un- imprisoned. I love uh, her best friend Finche, who's this kind of crocodile thing with no eyes that she's had since she was a little kid uh, when her dad... Her, her dad, basically, uh, the king, went and took her from her mother when her mother took her under the knoll to be kind of schooled by the witches, which she mm-hmm. doesn't remember. And everything is really, really dark, but um, Islan's crown of these kind of orange-yellow uh, butterflies... That, that kind of are in her hair that seem to be part of her head, except for when she uses her dark power, which she doesn't like to do. She feels like awful after she does that. Uh, but she can speak to animals. She's a vegetarian. She talks to squirrels. It's very charming at the beginning. The squirrels share their nuts with her. Um, she convinces uh, Azur to become a vegetarian as well, uh, which doesn't go very well for them later. <laughs> um, and then they get back, they, they kind of make it back to... Uh, her father's place and they're being harried by the by the crones by the witches the entire time like to the point of like trying to sneak into camp at night and steal the magic monster fighting sword they've given azur uh but when they get back to uh court her father realizes that that's his sword and the hags have probably stolen it but but he he blames azur instead of the hags um and throws azur into prison and islin doesn't know that for a while but then the squirrel tells her and you know i think at the end of the first part of the story which would be one book in in france um like they steal her father's like what armor made on the other side it's not like elf made armor but right this is magical armor. underworld armor that is presumably sort of impervious to you know mortal blades or right. something like the king's current wife is kind of scheming for her son to be made king and, and her, her father strangely doesn't want to name him king is kind of still on his daughter's side a little bit and he's trying to marry her off and whatever else but then they they fight and they call the i think they call rats to them mm-hmm. <laughs> and the rats like fight everybody and they make their escape and that's the end of the first part and then the second part they go north and um that's where they become lovers and he we, we see her like naked with her like serpent's tail it's not her mom had like no legs even her mom was just was just a serpent but she's like part serpent. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't love that part. Uh, because it's, it's very strange. It's yeah, but I mean, like, okay, it's yeah, just it one of these things of like, I don't. I'm not a big fan of anyone sort of being horny on main. <laughs> being what? Being what? It's a it's a social media phrase. Our listeners know what I'm saying. It's being horny on main. It's where you just kind of display to the world what your fetishes are. Uh, <laughs> they, I mean, they, it could be more nuanced than that. There's, I'm, I, I don't need to get into that anyway. Yeah, it's, okay. but it's fine. It's acceptable. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be a prude. But 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 the the crones basically like kind of work everything into a frenzy. Everyone into a frenzy. The queen that Azur seduced, like the king, all these people, like they end up like Azur and uh, 
Islan end up in the knoll where her mom used to take her with the crones and um I, you know it, there's like a big bloody death and it's quite sad and quite romantic you know and and uh, her mom tries to take her mom's evil spirit tries to take her over as well mm-hmm. uh yeah it's 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 nice it, it's nice that it all kind of nicely wraps up um did you feel like uh azur died at the end or did you feel like he was still alive uh i i don't have a good answer to that actually I'm not. And the first time I read it, I thought he was dead, but then I thought maybe he's supposed to be alive at the end because there's supposed to be some hope, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. Uh, I didn't. I didn't really interpret it as there is a an either or situation there, um, but I don't remember it. I because uh, it's I look look, folks. I've had a busy couple weeks. My life is uh, <laughs> is really all over the place right now. So y- you know what? You should read this book. I do recommend it. Uh, you know trigger warnings uh sec- mentions of sexual violence and just actual sexuality if that's a problem it's which is anyway um yeah you know snake sex it's lots of snake sex it's a very snake snake ladies it, right it, i anyway go ahead read the book make up your own mind write us into the podcast at bookstabber at gmail <laughs> no bookstabber podcast at gmail.com let us know if you think that the ma- that the knight dies at the end or if he lives, and uh, if, if it made you horny for snakes, let us know that too. I, I I would say this is the most objectively lovely book in terms of the drawing and stuff, in terms of the the art. I think I think this book would draw in more people than the others. As a visual artist, I have to I have to combat that statement by saying there is no such thing as objectively lovely. That's a, kind of a ridiculous okay. claim. Ah, all right. I I, I I don't mean to attack you, but I just I have to I feel like I have to be like, well, that's just not true. That's not how anything. Well, works. I, 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 I don't know what I'm trying to say, but um... it's very well drawn. It's it's a lovely book to look at. But I, I think every book that we have looked at today, including our next one, is visually extremely good and, and deserves uh, respect and admiration. Well, I, I, I don't disagree with that, but I think that I think that this book has a, a broader appeal because of its fairy tale if that's a if that's a word mm, maybe. um I, I i just i just think there's something i think the timeless quality about this book about just the way it looks i agree with you the 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 tale itself is very modern but the, the way this book looks i think would draw people in more um I, I i think headlopper has um a better cover like i think the headlopper cover probably has the most appeal of all these covers because this book looks so dark I agree but... that the previous two books are what most people would call cartoony and i want to put that in quotes because i i feel that that is a phrase that is mostly meaningless in terms really? of well in terms of actually describing because because you can say that donald duck is cartoony and you can also say that uh headlopper is cartoony but actually donald mm-hmm. duck and headlopper don't look alike at all and so it's not a useful descriptor for differentiating it's useful for separating it from renaissance artwork i'll grant you that it's useful for <laughs> no it is it's useful for differentiating yeah, yeah, yeah. it yeah. from you know picasso although people will also call picasso cartoony so actually that's not very good either so i'm just as someone who you know has had a lot of art schooling and thinks a lot about art i i want to talk in very precise terms i don't want to create more confusion when we talk about these but i i want to to let it be known that the art style that is employed in um what is the name of this book she goes darkly what is it darkly she goes i i I had it almost i almost had it. darkly she goes the art style in this is still very much 
comic book art that is, you know, is common to the last 15 years. It is not, you're not going to look it up and think, oh, this looks like the illustrations from Alice in Wonderland. You're not going to look it up and think, oh, this looks like something that uh, Tolkien drew. You're not going to look at it and think that this looks like fairy tale artwork that you've seen before. It is, it is definitely comic book art. Uh, Is it similar to Headlopper? Not really. It has spot blacks that are uh, quite, that, that are used quite effectively. It's, you know, it is kind of sharp and angular at times. It has good anatomy. I'll tell, I'll say that. It has great color and great use of shadows. I'm sorry, I'm being combative, I realize. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, I think your, I think your uh, use of the term lin clair, mm-hmm. the, the clear line to describe headlopper is... Is true, and you could also use that to describe Donald Duck, right? I mean, it just describes like a lack of well of texture. You would in the, no, in you the, in the line. I I well, I hate to do this. You would not use Lean Claire to describe Donald Duck. Uh, no, no. Well, Lean Claire is very specifically so. Like Tintin is Lean Claire, right? Mm-hmm. That's sort of the most famous example. Sure. Uh, sure. Headlopper is also, but Donald Duck. Uh, I mean, it has a lot of expressive brushwork. It's not, it, it isn't textured, no. It, it is textureless, but Lynn Claire is not defined by, specifically being textureless, it is defined by line weight. Uh, Donald Duck does make good use of line weight. Now, if we're talking about a, the, the, no, this is a little complicated. Like, I'm talking about Carl Barks' Donald Duck, which is not going sure. to use, like, painted backgrounds. If we're talking about an actual animated cartoon from the 40s, which is going to have heavily painted backgrounds that are probably acrylic then then everything i've just said is is garbage you throw it out the window you never listen to me again (laughs) let me i just want people to know that i do know what i'm talking about and i'm not just making things up anyway i just hear i just hear words then try to use them myself so (laughs) okay uh that's that's cool um let's talk about the last book uh this miranda book by grim wilkins Miranda by Grim Wilkins. Okay. Yeah. I have to say that to, to figure out kind of how to describe what this book is about, I had to go look up a summary of the book on the image site, which, I mean, is is not saying that I didn't have a sense of what the book is about, but I was like, I wonder how they describe what happens in it. And Grim Wilkins uh, was one of the artists on Prophet Earth War, which was this Brandon Graham-led relaunch of the Prophet series, which was amazing, um, the science fiction, fiction epic uh, at the end of the 2010s. Um, and so from... Wilkins just having written on that or drawn on that, I, I would expect something very like organic and kind of squishy because that's kind of what the the tech is. The tech is this big kind of meat tech, like like intergalactic like uh, meat tech, like ships that are grown instead of uh, necessarily made, like giant dead gods in space. That's kind of what Prophet is about to to some extent in terms of its setting. Did you look up the 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 summary on the image site at all? No, I will I will be extremely honest. I've tried four times to read this book, and <laughs> I I get past chapter one. I cannot get through chapter two. That is, oh really? I just can't do it. I really try. I I'm really trying. I want to like this book. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you what it says. Okay. Like th- th- this is what it says. Like the first part of the description. Quote: When a jungle dwelling woman gets a mysterious demon trapped in her leg, she sets off on an extraordinary adventure to get it out. Yeah, I mean... Artist-writer Grim Wilkins' Prophet Earth War plays with the possibilities of comic storytelling, letting the visuals carry the weight. Okay. Having uh, having read that first chapter four times, I can see I can see how that could be the case, but that was not obvious what, that, that that was what was happening. I agree. It's a little it's a little strange. It really prevented me from carrying forward because so okay, let's let's talk about it. I think the art is great. Vi- visually, it's a feast for the eyes. In terms of composition. 
the panel layouts and or sort of the lack of panel distinctions. It's very hard to actually tell what the author is trying to communicate at any given time. There are some scenes where it's like, okay, like, you know, you say that there's a demon trapped in the leg. It's like, okay, yeah, I remembered several panels of there being a monster person like halfway in this leg. And that was clearly a bad thing that was happening. But then we just get a lot of shots of like, a marmoset flinging through the air and then it's not obvious whether the marmoset is <laughs> metaphorical or it's literally there or what we're supposed to what what relation it has to anyone else and then you know uh, every once in a while there's just one sentence of text that tells us something that i don't know how it reflects to our characters exactly and oh the sentences of text were very confusing yeah and and because I was really trying to use those of like okay this book is having a is it's really struggling to tell me what it's about so I'm hoping this will inform me but yeah I had no idea what of our main characters like actual quest was overall I think that if you are looking for a real thinker I guess I can recommend this book I I personally did not care for it I have not finished it I could not get into it hmm. if it gets really hmm. good in the last quarter of the book maybe I should come back to it but I just I just did not care enough to read this and I want. I wanted, I wanted well, to be known. I like silent comics. I like wordless graphic novels. I think, that, like, my career started with one. You know, <laughs> I, I made one that a lot of people really seem to like. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's great. But I like to think I know a little bit about the subject matter. And I feel like this author... I, I even like ones that are really confusing, you know. I liked a lot of the ones that used to be in the, uh, the flight anthologies, if you remember those. Um, yep, yep. There's one, I I was trying to look up the name just now because I cannot remember. It starts with a Z. It is, you know, it is European. It is very similar to this in a lot of ways. That it is a fantasy wordless graphic novel where like a wizard boy turns into a frog and flies around the earth a million times. That one is also extremely metaphorical and it's not obvious what's going on at any given time. But I love it. I thought it was great. Uh, this one did not do it for me. Well, so I'm going to tell you my approach to reading this because I, I found my first read through confusing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I just went back to the beginning and just powered through it okay. and just decided I would get whatever I could. And then I read it again a couple days later after it had kind of settled in a little bit. Yeah. Because I had I had these flashes of what happened throughout the book. I, I, I remember kind of reading parts of this in Island, which I don't think I bought all the issues of. Uh, it was kind of a, I don't know, probably like 128-page anthology that was like 10 bucks that came out every month or two from image for a while that brandon graham was editing and contributing to um it was really it was really good and so this was this was kind of both better and confusing to read in those installments because i didn't i didn't go back and read the beginning of it each time you just kind of like took it as it was and it's like this visual feast like you're describing like in the word balloons the word balloons themselves often have like a panel or two like of imagery where people are trying to use the images in the word balloon to explain what's going on right without words um what they're saying and it seems to be a reflection of language but whatever whatever they're saying i I, you don't quite understand i i think the most distracting thing about the book the weirdest thing that i didn't understand is that the woman is topless like the main character is topless all the time the artist has to go to all these crazy lengths to hide her nipples in every panel (laughs) yes and it, 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 it's incredibly silly. I would have rather just seen her be naked than to go to this effort. I, it, it was ridiculous. Well, but, but, but I kind of decided it's supposed to be ridiculous. It's supposed to be this funny thing. Like, I don't know why that was done. I think the 
book is like I, I don't know if it's rated M for mature or not, but who who cares? It was it was right. very strange. Free the nipple. It's not a big deal. Just it's fine. Well, but but maybe maybe it was posted online originally. I I, I think I think the artist did it as uh, some some kind of like project for themselves, like initially before Image came on and started started publishing it. So yeah, I mean I mean there's it's it's so weird. There's like. I don't know. She like in the beginning, it's black and white, and she's running after this giant creature made of earth. And then there's like a blue flower which stands out, and you're like, "Oh, that's cool." And she picks the flower from the creature, and then takes it to this wizard guy, and he crushes it up and seems to make something of it. But then this giant creature appears. Is that real or is it a hallucination? I have no idea. She rips the tongue out of the thing, and somehow in the course of this, gets this. I'll call it a demon because that's what the description says. Implanted in her right leg, it looks kind of like a like a rutabaga, some part of swamp <laughs> thing for a minute. Sure, but but the this weird creature the demon comes out of it and when i say demon it's not like a horned evil demon it's a very swamp thingy very organic looking creature looks like it's made of moss maybe or or earth or it's it is some kind of rutabaga half rutabaga man i don't know comes out of her leg portal sometimes never seems to harm her shows up once in a while she goes on this quest she's trying to figure out how to get it out of her apparently um uh this this white-haired guy cuts it with a knife looks at her leg says she needs a book like as they're looking through books there are all this there's all this random imagery of like what's in the books apparently that doesn't play into the larger narrative but it's kind of fun to see but it's confusing because you're like i don't know what that has to do with anything like there's this picture of these wicker men beating the shit out of people with flintlocks on the shore and you're like i don't know what that what that means but okay and then she's like, she she finds out she has to go to this cave that looks like this giant mouth. Uh, there's a thing there that's supposed to grab the demon out of her. Then the guy gives her a cloak to hide her nipples, which is <laughs> nice. And then off she goes. And then the next thing you know, she's kind of in the woods. She's, I mean, it's very big, jungly, giant, giant trees, giant branches as pathways through the forest. She's fishing with her mouth like a beast. There's an old guy with this antlered goat thing that seems to be on her trail. He's nowhere near her. Just suddenly appears in the story. She's looking for the cave. She tells people about the demon. They kind of come after her. This giant woman saves her, big lady, and they start traveling together. Uh, the dude with the goat thing, I don't know, he visits the spirits, and they tell him he's going to kill Miranda with his spear, and they give him the spear. And then there's a guy who's on the run from people, and he's got this hawk thing, and then he's taken prisoner, and he's thrown into a ship, and I don't know what happens to that guy. Uh, <laughs> like, you didn't see any of this, right? No. Then Miranda's pursued with this giant woman, and big, I say giant, but she's just a big lady. And uh, there's people with people like quoting wanted posters. Miranda's wanted. Uh, the ship with the guy with the hawk who was taken prisoner is attacked by this giant sea creature, and this lady on board that ship punches the giant sea creature and then takes one of its eyes. And then the the boat is destroyed. And then the guy with the hawk is gone. And then Miranda finds the cave with the lady, and this guy paints triangles on her back and tells her a story that's very confusing. <laughs> And then, I don't know, there's like, like, like basically the, the guy with the goat thing and the spear, like, and Miranda and this big lady, like, end up in the same the city where they're all going. And then there's kind of a fight that doesn't last a long time. And then the whole thing ends with a weird joke that I don't want to spoil for you because I want you to read it. But I, I would call the ending unsatisfying. I would call the, I would call, I, I mean, it, it feels like it was written like very stream of consciousness with like some idea of where it was going mm -hmm. and just like out of a, out of a serious sense of joy of drawing, which is the the best thing about this book is just like Grim Wilkins seems to be having a fantastic time. And even when stuff doesn't work, it's still, it's all just amazing to look at, but it's confusing. And I think I, like, I think if I sat down and, and read it again right now, which wouldn't, take a, a terribly long amount of time i would get something more from it and my sense is i would i would keep getting more from it as i did that over and over and over again which is which is kind of nice 
and kind of frustrating at the same time. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing things. Like, like it just feels like one of those books that even after two readings is still somewhat defeating my sense of the of the story. But maybe not. Maybe I maybe I've got like ninety percent of it now, or ninety percent of what I'm gonna I'm gonna have of it after five readings. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, would you, would you recommend this book? I, you know, I, I I would, but it's not it's not a book like i feel like i need to own you know what i mean like like sure we're not asking if people should buy books we're asking if people should read books no but i often i often make a make a distinction between like oh i i must have that because i'm going to revisit that over and over again whereas miranda like i'm i'm probably going to read it again like i think i think it's that book like i'll see on the library shelf uh when i go to when i go to just browse and i'll pick it up and i'll look through it again and i'll be like oh there's a thing i didn't know about and and for that i think it's i think it's great like that's not true of a lot of books um it's not it's not how you relate to a lot of books so it's demanding something of me um but like headlopper wow like i just like every page i want to pick up and just look at and gawk at and just i'm i'm in awe of something or like darkly she goes i'm i'm in awe right mm-hmm. of of those two books and this book i guess still trying to absorb like which is which is a strange way to leave it but it's it's not a not recommend it's it's just it's just got a very different quality to the storytelling that, sure. that's very demanding of you in, in a way that you don't expect it to be because it's it's wordless and you think it's going to be um incredibly straightforward for that okay well we have gone through a lot of graphic novels today <laughs> i think this is there anything left that we have to say about these graphic novels in as part of the year of sword and sorcery i'm trying to think of the other sword and sorcery books i've read this year and i think the only one is that first uh Fafer in the gray mouser uh graphic novel uh-huh. that uh mike mignola mm-hmm. i don't know if you remember if he drew it or inked it like like I hadn't read that. I, I had tried to read it a long time ago, and uh, my uh, writing mentor's wife let me take a few books from his collection. I took that one and read it, and I really, really appreciated that book mm-hmm. this year. And I think you would appreciate that too, sure. if you can find a copy in the in the library where you're at. But I think it's I think it's super hard. The sword and sorcery graphic novels are just are just tough. They feel tougher than sword and sorcery novels in general for me to enjoy like i just think i think of the books out there i'm probably not as apt to enjoy a sword and sorcery graphic which novel, which is but. weird because every one we've ever talked about i feel like you you have enjoyed yeah i mean i mean maybe maybe my um maybe the reality of that is different from how i feel about it yeah i could know? be but there, there's like a lot of the conan graphic novels that i don't like very much that don't sure well you, that don't really work uh, for me you sent um, me one a year or two ago the the song of Billit. i remember i remember liking that one did you like that one I, well, the Brian Wood run on Conan a few years ago is is like is one of my favorite runs of Conan, and uh, right now I think Titan is publishing the books that are being published in France, the Conan graphic novels, and uh, there's one by Pierre Allery that's uh, drawn by Pierre Allery that's just amazing. I don't like all of them. Sure, you know what I mean. Like yeah, no, like I like I pick up a lot more Conan graphic novels that I don't like. I mean, I pick up a lot more Avengers books or yeah. Batman books that I don't like as we well. Also, and, but you also uh, like books more than I do on average. So <laughs> no, that's true. That's definitely true i mean if you the listener have anything that you would like us to read and talk about on this podcast you should write an email draft an email to bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com let us know yeah what you think how highly curious about your favorite uh fantasy sword and sorcery ish graphic novel series too uh if you want to if you want to make a make a comment uh on the library comic website that would be great yeah or if you just want to write us email telling us that we suck real bad and that we should (laughs) no don't do that we can't take it (laughs) all right no it's all right later willow all right i'm willow Payne, artist of library comic co-writer and i'm i'm somebody with cats he's (laughs) gene ambom he makes library comic Uh, good night new york keep stabbing